And thank you for praying. Thank you for worshiping. Team, thank you for leading us so beautifully as we seek the Lord's presence together. Um, yeah, today's a, a good day for, for prayer, and it's good to, to seek the Lord together, to be on our knees and to, to be seeking Him. Uh, at the end of the service today, I'm going to invite you to a, a point of decision as we think about the, the faithfulness of God, and so you can be uh, thinking about that in just a few moments. Um, we've been going through a series called uh, Bible Heroes, looking through uh, what, what we've called flawed leaders and a faithful God, and this is in the book of Joshua, and we're going to be going through Judges and Ruth and First and Second Samuel in this series. For those of you who are reading along with us and kind of keeping up, we're not preaching through all the verses or even all the chapters, uh, but we have a, a reading plan that is here that you can pick up at the info center in the lobby if you want to continue to read through that. Just good to be able to, to be tracking together. Uh, in what God's doing. And I also want to reiterate what Pastor Seth said a few moments ago. We have a membership class coming up uh, October 22nd, which is next Sunday. And that's a great opportunity for you if you feel like this is the place where I'm trying to put roots down. You know, this is kind of my home church and my, my church family. This is where I want to be kind of connected. Uh, you are not obligated to become a member by going to the class, but it's a great way to just learn more about the church, and it certainly can help you in that process if that's something you have interest in doing. So sign up this week. Let us know you're going to be coming uh, to next week. We hope to see several of you there uh, on October 22nd. Uh, so, quick review of Book of Joshua. We've gone through uh, three different weeks talking about in week one uh, the, the importance of courage or that courage matters. Jo that God says to Joshua, as He's going to lead the people in. Be strong and courageous. You are going to lead the people in. The second week we talked about faithfulness, or sorry, today we're talking about faithfulness. La next week we talked about obedience matters and just a beautiful spirit in that service. Of, of commitment to say, you know, God's calling us to say some simple yes and simple no to him, but obedience matters. Today we're going to talk about faithfulness matters, and we're going to look at the end of Joshua in Joshua 24. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over there. So what comes to your mind if you just do a little mental exercise and think through what comes to your mind when you think about this word faithfulness? It's a really loaded idea. It's a loaded concept. There's so many different facets of life that may intersect with that question. Some of you may be already thinking about the pain that comes in a relationship when faithfulness uh, was proved to be lacking. And maybe when we think about faithfulness, we think about betrayal. Other, others of us, we may be just struck by the thought that God has been better to us than we deserve. How many of you can say amen to that today? Do you, do you, does that resonate with you? That just kind of stops me a little bit. God has been better to us than we deserve. Like when I really think about that, when I really think about my life and my decisions and, and my good moments and my not good moments and everything, God has been substantially better than we deserve. When we think about faithfulness, maybe we think about the tenacity to keep fighting or fighting for things that are worth fighting for. There's an element of faithfulness that says, you know, even when things are hard, we're going to keep going after this thing because it matters. Faithfulness we could define as the quality of being loyal and steadfast. We have this up on the screen for you. Loyal and steadfast, reliable and resilient, to, to be just simply known as trustworthy. Like when you say you're going to be there, you're going to be there. When you say it's going to get done, it's going to get done. That's a quality that we admire when we see that in our relationships and good friends. It's one of the things that we celebrate even today when we think about our relationship with the Lord. 
In the middle of Lamentations, uh, Pastor Seth read from Lamentations 3 uh, this morning, and we didn't coordinate this, but it says in verse 22, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions or His mercies never fail. They're new every morning. Like before you got out of bed this morning, the mercy of God was fresh and new for you. And in the middle of this book, that's name is dedicated to the sadness of the historical moment. The author says, great is your faithfulness. Today, as you think about faithfulness as resilience and this idea, I'm going to keep fighting for that thing that matters, even when I'm struggling in some ways. Vince Lombardi, since we're in a little bit of a football season, Vince Lombardi, he said, it's not a matter of whether you get knocked down, it's whether you get back up. And maybe in a little bit more Jesus-oriented place, Brennan Manning from the Ragamuffin Gospel, I love this quote. He says, what makes authentic disciples is not visions and ecstasies and biblical mastery of chapter and verse or spectacular success in the ministry, but a capacity for faithfulness. Buffeted by the fickle winds of failure, battered by their own unruly emotions, and bruised by rejection and ridicule, authentic disciples may have stumbled and frequently falling, yet they kept coming back to Jesus. Today, as we look at Joshua 24, we see that another generation essentially has come and gone. We read through this in a matter of minutes or hours but it's compressing a lot of activity of what God has been doing. And so all of a sudden, Joshua is finding himself toward the end of his life and the end of his leadership. And he's recalling the faithfulness of God. And he's charging the new emerging leaders to be faithful in their own way to the law that has been handed down to them. And this picture always gives us, a, I think, a, an appropriate opportunity to reflect on new seasons, on new methods, new territory, new ground, but to stay grounded in the ancient wisdom that has been handed down from the generations before. So here's Joshua. He's renewing the covenant between God and his people. Joshua calls the people to a point of decision that involves the breaking of idolatry and, broken, and breaking family patterns as well as holding fast to the God who delivered them. And calls them to be his people. Does that word, when, when I say point of decision, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like point of decision. When, when you have a, a place, a marker in your spiritual journey that signifies a time of growth. I might say it this way, that when we talk about a point of decision, we're talking about the intersections of your spiritual journey that mark spiritual growth. How many have at least one thing that comes to mind when you think about a point of decision? It might have been the first time you bowed your knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You said, I'm surrendering my heart and my life to him. I'm entering into a relationship with him. That's a huge point of decision. That's a huge uh, moment. Maybe it's when you got baptized and you said before your family and your church friends, you said, you know, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ with my life. What he has done privately, I now make public. That is a point of decision. I remember when I was a kid at, at summer camp, and, and I was the biggest doofus, you know, I mean, I just, I, I love summer camp, but probably for all the wrong reasons. For me, it was, I love capture the flag and all of the, the sports stuff that we did. I thought about that stuff all the time. Those were the next sports thing we we're going to do. Uh, I, I was always looking for a cute girl, you know, the camp, the camp romances. Whew. 
They don't last very long, but they're sweet when they start. Anyway, uh, and then the other big thing I was thinking about when I was a camper and doing summer camp. How many of you did summer camp when you were a kid? Some of you did this, right? Okay. So the other thing was they had this camp store. And you could go and you could get like all of this candy. And I never had all this candy at home. So it was like I would go cash out of the camp. That was what I was excited about. That was my priority when I was a camper. So here I am. I'm eight years old. I'm thinking about sports. I'm thinking about girls. And I'm thinking about candy. It's every, it's every eight-year-old's dream. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden, something happened when I'm sitting in a service, and I don't remember who was speaking, and I don't remember even what they were speaking. What I do remember was that God got a hold of my life at the end of one of those services and said, wake up, this is for you. It was like, I didn't see that coming, but it was a point of decision. It wasn't the only point of decision, but it was a point of decision, and God marks our lives with those. So it's things like when we say, Uh, I'm tired of dealing with secret sin and stuff, and I need to get out into the light, and I need to invite some accountability. That's a point of decision, right? It's when we say things like, I'm going to say yes to Jesus or say yes to the calling that he's placing on my life. I'm going to take a risk for the kingdom. That's a decision. I'm going to serve in a new way. That's a decision. I'm going to forgive in the context of a broken relationship. Uh Uh-oh, right? I mean, that just got real. But that's a point of decision. I'm going to offer an apology in a relationship that I know is strained. We all know it's strained, right? And and, and I'm going to be the one to to step forward and say, you know, I need to say that I'm sorry. All of these are points of decisions that mark the intersections that mark spiritual growth. So here's Joshua in Joshua 24. I want you to read along with me. He's speaking to Israel basically one last time. And here's what he says, verse 14 and following. It says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Because faithfulness matters. Throw away the gods of your ancestors that they worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And then verse 15, this is really an interesting way he phrases this. He says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Point of decision, right? Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It's a point of decision. Verse 16, then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. It's a point of decision. What you'll see here is that as we've gone through the Old Testament up to this point, there is an ongoing revelation of God to his people. So much so that, think about this, when when God first began to interact with them, they didn't even know what his name was. They didn't even know what to call him. They didn't know his character. They didn't know his power. And so all of these things that we read throughout the Old Testament and up to this point are ongoing revelations of who God is and what God does and what God values and all of these things as they're trying to get their mind around who is he. When we think about faithfulness and faithfulness mattering, 
For you and for me, I think probably one of the big things is this idea of resilience. Well, we keep getting up even though things are hard, even though we go through seasons of suffering, even though we go through times that we can't spot God's faithfulness to save our lives. We don't know what in the world he's doing. How many of you have been there? Raise your hand. Be honest. This church, you're allowed. Okay. You're among friends. We go through those seasons. So resilience is a huge call on our part when it comes to faithfulness. When we think about God's faithfulness, we think about his steadfastness. God doesn't need resilience. God is the definition of steadfastness. So I want to look at three things with you today that we can see in the God that we serve that I think will help us and instruct us even as we look through this lens of Joshua. The first one is that God is faithful to his story. The second one that we're going to look at is that God is faithful to his word, and we're going to spend the majority of our time there. And the third one is that God is faithful to his character. So faithful to his story, faithful to his word, and faithful to his character. When we talk about the biblical narrative, uh, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, you know, we've mentioned that many times. We preach about that kind of thing. It's very important for us to understand where we are in that process, especially as we understand some of the hard things from the book of Joshua and Judges 2, incidentally. Where are we in the biblical narrative? Well, we're somewhere between the fall and the completed act of redemption. We've already seen creation, then fall, but the redemption of Christ that will ultimately be fulfilled at the cross and the empty tomb at this point in God's story has not happened yet. And so as the people say things like this in verse 17, it was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us our entire journey and among the nations through which we traveled. The people of God are established in the family of God. What they're they're doing is they are recounting the faithfulness of God as his story is unfolding as far as they know it up to this point, and that's an important distinction. So the people of God are established in the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They grow from a family to a people, from a people into a nation, and as a nation now, they're starting to be exposed to some of these huge biblical themes, freedom, the book of Exodus, that their ultimate destiny and identity is not to be enslaved, is not to be persecuted, is not to be under the control of another, but actually set free so that they can worship. Worship is another big one. At Sinai, they're given instructions on how to approach a holy God. The sacrificial system and the order of the priests are established. That's the book of Leviticus. And then they get into the wanderings that at the threshold of the promised land, the people's courage fails, and they do not go to take the land that God had given them. A whole generation wanders in the wilderness until they're almost all dead. That's what we read about in Numbers and Deuteronomy. But here are the people of God now saying in response to this call to be faithful. Yes, we will be faithful because we remember the story that God has been unfolding up to this point. God is faithful in his work, creation to fall to ultimate redemption and restoration that will come. We have a different vantage point than these people did. The thing I want to encourage you with with this is, is, simple, is actually pretty simple. That every time, 
that you get stuck in Scripture. And many of you are reading through Scripture and you're like, I don't understand this piece right here. I don't understand what that part is right here. We also get stuck in life, right? That we're moving through life, but we encounter seasons, sometimes extended seasons, where we say, I don't really know what God is doing here. This doesn't feel, I'm, I'm suffering, I'm struggling. Uh, there, there's, there's parts of my story I know that are not yet written, but I'm struggling to see the faithfulness of God. In those moments, we step back. And even today, we step back and we remember the arc of Scripture and God's faithfulness to His story. Keep in mind that even your story, if you are in Christ today, when you go through the seasons of suffering or the dark night of the soul where you don't understand what God is calling you to do, remember that your story ultimately ends in the glorious climax of seeing Him face to face. There is a good ending that you haven't come to yet, even if you're in the middle of the hardship now. But how do you see that? You have to step back to see God's faithfulness. He is faithful to his story. The second thing is that God is faithful to his word. I want you to really see this. We've got to process some stuff here. Verse 18, the people say, The Lord drove out before us the nations, including the Amorites, who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he's our God. That's sort of trite, right? Sort of sort of glib yeah he did that thing he drove them out there was a lot of pain and bloodshed in that driving out there was a lot of hardship in fact there's some things that we have to process that i want you to see this now the promised land portion of the story looks like this after the death of moses joshua is appointed to lead the people into the land to drive out the inhabitants that live there hear this this will become both a fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant as well as the fulfillment of the judgment predicted 400 years earlier. This is really critical, and here's why. Well, let, 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 me, just, let me just unpack this for us for a moment. So, so the Abrahamic covenant, you remember that in Genesis chapter 12, a really pivotal thing happens as you read through your Bible. This is where God sets aside a man named Abram, and he says to him in a covenantal relationship, he said, I'm going to establish you so that you will experience three things through your line. There's going to be land, there's going to be, uh, there's going to be nationhood, there's going to be land, and there is going to be blessing. Not just that you will be blessed, but the entire world is going to be blessed through you. That's the covenant with Abram, uh, Genesis chapter 12. Really important that we understand that if we want to have a decent understanding of Scripture. Now listen to this. As God is actually enacting this covenant with him in Genesis 15, the sun is setting, Abram falls into a deep sleep, there's this darkness that comes over them, and the Lord says, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. I mean, he's just giving them the script. He's telling them this is what's going to happen after your passing. And here's what he says in verse 16 of Genesis 15. He says, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. Where's here? It's the land of Canaan. It's the place where Joshua is now coming in to take over, has come in to take over. Your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Now that is a curious thing to say. But God's plan, and this is the thing, God's faithful to his story. He's faithful to his plan. He's faithful to his word. The word of God is so intricate and so deep and so involved. Did Abram have any idea what he was fully talking about? 
that a culture would arise and that the sin and the corruption would be so great that 400 years later, God would bring punishment. He would bring justice. He would bring judgment to them. But here it's predicted, Genesis 15, 16. Fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. There's another very interesting piece to this, God's people coming back. God's people are the good guys, right? They're the, they're the ones who can do no wrong, right? Well, look at Deuteronomy chapter 9 as now God advanced the story. God's now talking to Moses and he's talking about we're going to go in, you're going to do this thing. And he says this, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going to take possession of the land, but on account of the wickedness of those nations. He says in verse 6 of Deuteronomy 9, Understand then, it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stiff-necked people. It's a little burn, you know what I mean? Now what does this all mean? It's not that God's people are these good people who can do no wrong and whatever they do is right. In fact, he says, you guys are kind of a mess. You're stubborn. You're stiff-necked. I'm going to give you this land because of the unrighteousness of the people that are there. I'm going to use you as a form of judgment. Do you remember the captain of the Lord's army, Joshua 5? He says, are you for us or are you for your enemies? And he says, neither. Neither. The big question that people wrestle with as they read Joshua, a lot of people have wrestled with this over the years, is God actually a moral monster? You see, there's violence in the Old Testament, and that is one of the big barriers that people wrestle with. Maybe some of you right now, you say, I don't know if I can believe in a God like that. How can God tell us to love our enemies and then to use violence to drive them out and to kill the inhabitants of the land? And the more skeptical you become or the different people that you read, people like Richard Dawkins, he cast the Old Testament God. He says, this is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. He calls him a vindictive and bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, misogynist, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, sadomasochist. I mean, he goes on and on and on and ends with a capriciously malevolent bully. That's from The God Delusion, page 51, Richard Dawkins. But it's a, it's a legitimate question. Is this okay? God's people coming in and driving the people out. Sometimes he says, wipe everything, everything living, just take it out, it's, it's gonna be gone. And I, I would tell you a couple of things about this. Number one, uh, I don't think there's anything that I would say to you today that you would leave here rightly saying, oh yeah, this is great. It's not great, it's hard. It's difficult, it's death, it's violence. There's nothing in this that requires you to love and enjoy death and violence. But it does cause us to reflect on the nature and the character of God. And here we see the promise of his, the fulfillment of the promise of his word, not only to say, I'm going to do something for this people through whom the world is going to be blessed, but I'm also going to bring a, a predicted judgment upon others. So how do we get our heads around this? I'm going to give you just four statements here today. We'll spend a little bit of time on this, and I'd love to sit down and have a cup of coffee and reflect with you more, because there's a lot more that we could say. But let me give you four statements on this. How do we deal with the violence of the Old Testament? The uh, first statement is this, and we have them up on the screen. The first statement is, God has the right to life and death. Most of us can at least get our heads around that. 
Um, even if your heart takes a little while to figure, you know, how you feel about it, the, the emotion may still be a little raw and difficult. But God has the right to life and death. Thomas Aquinas, he said this as he was pondering this question. He said, because life is God's gift to humanity and is subject to his power, it is God who both kills and makes to live. And if I can get my head around that, though it might be a little bit tricky, I actually can come to the place that I think is healthy for us to say, God does not owe me anything. He doesn't owe me anything. He doesn't owe me the rest of this day. He doesn't owe me another breath in my lungs. He doesn't owe me more heartbeats. Now, I would like to have some more. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I don't want those things, but God does not owe me anything. Not one more breath. If you go from Thomas Aquinas to a more modern verse, a more modern voice, John Piper says it this way. He says, God is the giver of life and the taker of life, and he may choose to give me days or weeks or decades, but he does not owe me. Every heartbeat, every breath, every hour, every minute is an expression of his common grace. And not to make it easy, but let me just be realistic with you and say, this day, tens of thousands of lives will end under God's sovereign plan. I'm not asking you to like it. I'm not asking you to celebrate it. But that is the world that we live in. So we deal some with some business. We've got to get our mind around this idea that God has the right to life and death. The second, question, or second statement is this, that God is not arbitrary. And that's a great word if you look at the, the definition. God is not arbitrary in his timing and his decisions. That's why I was sharing with you from Genesis 15 and Deuteronomy 9. That there is actually a wickedness of the human heart. That this should give us pause to think about the corruptibility and the corrupting power of sin. That we see decay of culture that loses its moral way. So that the way that the, the culture was actually described as increasingly violent, increasingly manipulative. Uh-oh. Phone call coming in. Uh, increasing in idolatry, the, 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 the practice of child sacrifice to the god Moloch, which is just, it's just hard to read. I mean, this was, it was so evil what they would do, burning little children alive. And the interesting reality that kind of kicks in is this, is that people all the time that are wrestling with the nature of God and what he allows and what he doesn't allow and everything, and we say, why does God allow evil in this world? And one apologetist said it, said it this way, well, this is actually an example of God ending some evil in the world. And then some of the same people say, yeah, but why did God do it that way? So God is not arbitrary in his timing and his decisions. The third statement is that the biblical narratives, they are not prescriptive. I don't know if any of you have read the book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. It's by Gordon Fee. It's a great book. It's really helpful in a lot of different ways that we misread the Bible. But he actually makes this bold statement. He says, the biblical narratives are almost never prescriptive. Almost never prescriptive. The thing you take from the biblical narratives is you see the faithfulness of God, you see the righteousness of God, you see the justice of God, you see the attributes of God, and you can understand who he is. But they are full of characters, sinners and saints. They're full of people who get it right and totally get it wrong. And that's why we've used this phrase, that we're talking about flawed leaders and a faithful God. So the, the, the biblical narratives, including Joshua, these are not prescriptive. 
This is why we don't say, oh, strong and courageous. I'm going to go on a holy war and I'm going to take land. That's That's not for you to do. It's not prescriptive for you to do. Uh, Frank Turek, who's a doctor and does a lot of apologetics and stuff, he says this, and this was helpful. He said, Old Testament, the, the, the Old Testament theocracy was unique and temporary. It was not the ideal for all time. But listen to this. But it was a means to a promised new covenant. What was the third part of the Abrahamic covenant? It was that through, through you, not only will be nationhood and land, but that through you, all of the world would be blessed. And that takes us to our fourth statement here, that Jesus links the ultimate judgment and sacrifice. In other words, if God was just the Old Testament God, and these people were died, and these groups were massacred, and all this kind of stuff under his control, and that was the end of the story, I would be pretty suspect of that. But when you take a step back and you look at the arc of Scripture and what God has done in different places and you look at the person of Jesus, you begin to see the final sacrifice has been done at the cross. The wrath and the judgment of God has been satisfied and the faithfulness of God has been demonstrated. So that is why now under Christ, if you're in Christ today, you're a Christian, so you say, okay, Joshua's not prescriptive of me. What is prescriptive? It's Jesus who's saying, don't go into the world and take life. Go out into the world and give your life for something that matters. Give your life for the gospel cause and be willing to give everything for this world that I love. It's a total reversal in the new covenant. It's an opportunity for us to step back as participants in the new covenant and say, what a great God we serve who has worked through the brokenness and the ugliness of the world to bring us to a place of right standing and redemption and ultimately restoration. So you're not called to take life, but you're called to give your life for the cause of the gospel. And Jesus, this link ultimately between sacrifice and justice, we're going to go into our last point here. We see Jesus as the lion and the lamb, the lion of Judah and the lamb who is the sacrifice. And this is the last point, that God is faithful to his character. God is both a consuming fire and a loving God. Jesus was called the Lion of Judah and the Sacrificial Lamb. The first time he came, the people didn't get him because they wanted him to be more lion than lamb. They said, when are you going to overthrow? Man, when are you going to pick up the sword? When are you going to take it to our enemies? And then he gives himself up as a sacrifice. And people are like, we don't know what to do with this. When Jesus comes again, he does not come again as a sacrificial lamb. In fact, Revelation 19 describes him this way. I saw all of heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, listen to this, whose rider was called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. Take that call later. So God now calls his people out of brokenness and into restoration, even in the accounts of his wrath and judgment, which is, listen, admittedly, Joshua has a lot of wrath and judgment affixed to it. But even in that, we actually see the character of God coming through. He is not simply the lion, he's also the lamb. He's not simply a consuming fire. That Scripture actually says it's a dreadful thing to come into the presence of a living God. 
Like, we've got to get our minds around that reality if we're going to appreciate what Jesus has actually invited us into. But we see these beautiful pieces of his character that he is still redeeming. He is still restoring. Let me take you to the example of Rahab. She was a prostitute who lived in Jericho. She harbored the spies when they came to set in, and then she says, hey, can you guys take care of my family? Not only did they take care of her and her family and redeemed her out of the destruction, do you know that Rahab is actually mentioned more times in the New Testament than Joshua? How about that? Do you know that Rahab is actually in the line of the Messiah himself? We think we got God figured out. You know, we think we got, well, yeah, we do it this way. He's got his people, and he's going to do this kind of stuff. And then he invites people in. And not because they had a good track record, not because they were morally upright, but because he's a gracious God who takes broken messes like you and me and Rahab and makes our lives into something beautiful. So we see evidences of his character Joshua 24 ends with Joshua saying to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. You know, you're rebellious in your sins. They say, no, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua says, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, Joshua said, throw away your foreign gods from among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. What I'd like to conclude with today is simply the question. We're saying faithfulness matters. We're seeing God who is faithful to his story, God who's faithful uh, to his word, God who's faithful to his character. What happens when our faithfulness fails or lacks? Man, at the end of Joshua, it looks pretty optimistic. The people are like, we get it, we hear you, we're with you, point of decision, we're in. And it doesn't last. By the end of Judges, it's so dismal that the people of God, the question has been sort of up to this point, you know, are are they going to be able to be a witness to the holiness and the goodness of God in this world? And by the time you get to the end of Judges, they're almost like indistinguishable. And it's totally broken. It's total, like their faithfulness is messed up. And you see the brokenness that's in their own heart. And you see humanity at its worst, even in God's people. And then I turn on the news this week. And I see the brokenness in our world. And I see the worst of humanity happening in the same place that this whole thing went down. How weird does that feel when the eyes of the the world are back on the Holy Land once again? And here we are on our knees praying for the peace of Jerusalem and praying for the peace of Israel. The question is, will the Israelites come out of wandering and into the promised land? The question is, will God's people be an example of his holiness and his goodness to the world? And the universal answer until the time of Christ and even until today is no. That we need help. We need help. Now, here's what I want you to see. And worship team, you can come on up here. Um, Worship team's gonna lead us out of here in just a minute. I I wanna give you an opportunity to reflect on this question. What does this mean for us that faithfulness matters in the new covenant? That's where you are, in the new covenant. 
Joshua calls his people to a point of decision. Jesus calls us to a point of decision all the time. Will you be faithful? Will you continue to let me work through you in a way that you can't do on your own? That's the new covenant. It's not so much can you sum up enough faithfulness and get it right enough times that now you suddenly become that glowing uh, image that God was looking for to say, look, look how good he is. Look how good she's doing over here. That's not the new covenant. The new covenant is I'm going to put a new heart in you. I'm going to put my spirit in you and actually allow the life of Christ to be lived out through you. But it still requires a faithful response. It requires people to say yes. I will say yes to the lordship and the leadership of Jesus. So here's Joshua. He's saying, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He is reaffirming his faithfulness. Me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Some of you, I want to call you to that today. To say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Maybe you're not married. Maybe you don't have a family. Maybe you don't have a house in that regard. But you're saying, look, I'm going to, I'm going to follow the Lord. And I have the resources in the new covenant that those before me didn't have. I, I think about this because I've actually found that, that Jesus calls me to this place a lot. To say, just refer, reaffirm your faithfulness. Reaffirm your commitment. And you might ask the question, well, why? You know, I prayed the prayer. I asked Jesus into my life a long time ago. Why would I reaffirm that? In some ways, it would be like this. I go to my wife and I say, honey, I just want you to know I love you. And she looks at me and she says, you told me that two days ago. Right? Why, why does that feel strange, right? Because it's, it's a reaffirmation of something that is there. I look at my kids. I say, I love you. I'm proud of you. You know, they don't look at, they've never looked at me and said, yeah, you told me that a month ago. Why are you telling me that now? You're wasting my time. No, it's a reaffirmation. We come to Jesus, we bow our knee to him, and we say, as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. And I'm probably going to get it wrong. I'm probably going to fall on my face. And the test of my faithfulness is will I be resilient to keep getting back up and keep going after him. Some of you need to hear that today. Some of you need to do that today. That's what I want to call you to as we finish. The thought that I have as we close is this, that a life that is marked by surrender will become more resilient. And in that life, faithfulness, which is a fruit of the Spirit, will grow. Because faithfulness matters. Okay? So stand up if you would. The team's going to lead us here in a song. And uh, we, 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 doing, we, we said before the service, man, we got like two altar calls going on today. Like, hey, why not? Just if, if the Lord needs to meet you, then just, just meet with him. Could I just ask you, you know, maybe your heart resonates and you say, yeah, it's for me and my house. We're serving the Lord. We're going to go after that. that. That is a reaffirmation for many of you of a, of a faith-filled statement. So I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to go after the things of God. I know that may cost me. Yep. But I'm going to go after the things of God. I'm being called to a point of decision. Am I, am I waffling? Am I keeping Jesus at an arm's distance? Am I kind of mediocre in my faith? No, I'm, I'm, I'm serious about wanting to be committed to him. You know, God loves our faithful responses. So if that's, if that's you today, and I think it's probably several of you, just come forward. I want you to, I want you to come on up here as just an expression of that. Um, just to say, me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Just start making your way forward, okay? The nice thing is that for some of you, maybe you step forward in this and you say, yeah, this is, this is, a, this is, this is where I'm at. You know, I, I want to be faithful. I want to grow. It might be the first time that you've ever done that. 
And all that means is you're basically coming to the place of, of you're saying it's not going to be my performance anymore. It's not going to be my track record anymore. You know what I mean? I'm going to rely on the finished work of Jesus. That's great. So come as we sing. Kneel. If you want to kneel, you can sit on the front if you want to sit. But just as a statement to say, Lord, I am reaffirming that as for me and my house, point of decision, we will serve Teach me to go hard after you. I think there's probably some people, you, maybe you're wrestling right now. You're, you're going, I don't know. I don't know if I want to make a statement. I don't know if I want to uh, step forward in that. I don't want to coerce you at all. I don't want to coerce you. But I do want to give you a little bit of space to just say, yeah, I'm reaffirming my pursuit of Christ. That I, I'm just certain of this. There is a strength that the church needs, the world needs to see. There is a strength that comes when we say, yeah, I'm going to be submitted. I'm going to bow my knee to Jesus. A life marked by surrender will grow to be resilient and grow to be faithful. So, Lord, would you meet us right where we are today? Would you help us right where we are today? We, we open up our hands to you. Jesus, we say we will take the divine help that you are offering. We're thankful for the new covenant, that there's a, a new heart. That We're thankful, Lord, that the, the justice has been poured out at the cross. And that we stand in the, in the security of knowing that you have already accomplished everything that needs to be accomplished. There is no judgment. There is no condemnation for the person who is in Christ. So the question about faithfulness is this. Are you in Christ today? That's the question. And if you want to reaffirm that to say, yes, I'm in Christ today, step forward and do that in prayer. If you want for the first time to say, I'm bowing my knee to the Lordship of Christ, take some space and some time right now and if you're if you're a believer uh, in Christ you love Jesus would you just pray that people that need Jesus would would hear this message would hear the leading of the Holy Spirit today just pray where you are just just begin to pray just say God break down some walls break down some barriers break down fear I remember being that eight-year-old kid all of a sudden I went wait a minute this is for me This is for you. God bless you.